Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now, hey. Amen. Um, so there are many wonderful uh, divas and queens of pop currently. It's a it's just like a it's just a great season for that. Of course, Beyonce and Ariana, which is it's apparently it's Grandy and not Grande. Now you know. Look it up. Um, uh, there's Taylor. There's Cardi. So many, so many divas. My favorite diva by far is the Rihanna. And I'm a huge Rihanna fan. Love Rihanna. And bad girl Riri. And I just feel like of all the pop divas and genius women of, of pop music, she is the best at being her. You know? Nobody's as good at being themselves as Rihanna is at being Rihanna. And my favorite Rihanna song, even though I guess it's technically a Calvin Harris song, is We Found Love. It's a great song. And uh, that song, it's like, if you read the lyrics, it's like just super vague, you know? But the video, I watch the video, I cry. I watch the video. And I'm like, they did find love in a hopeless place, you know? And, uh, and, and they're like spinning donuts. It's great. Love it. And, um, and uh, I just love that freaking song. And... Uh, God often, um, when we're in a hopeless place, no matter where we're coming from tonight, we probably all know what it's like to be in a place that feels hopeless. Maybe it's been the last couple days for you or some season in your life. And um, it's often in, in that hopeless, uh, sad, dark place that God feels maybe the farthest from us. And um, this passage I love because Jesus meets two uh, people that are in a very impossible and hopeless situation. And I think that if our, if our hearts are open and our minds are open to what God has to say to us tonight, we can find God to, uh, meeting us, really, and helping us to find love in a, in a, hope, in a hopeless place and in a place of despair. So uh, let's read this text. It's kind of long. So I'm, as you can tell, I have a lot of anxiety about things taking longer than they're supposed to, particularly my kids getting on the bus, man. I'm going to be honest about that, okay? Um, so I'm going to read with some velocity, Mark chapter 5. Um, but let's, uh, let's give our attention to it because this is God's word for each of us here tonight. And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat on the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? 
And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kumi, which is an Aramaic term, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. I don't know why they, <laughs> clearly, she's 12, she can walk. Um, and, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing for us now. Uh, our, our God, we stop from our day. It's going to be that time of the semester where things feel like they're piling up. And we become so overwhelmed that even places that felt uh, normal to us before begin to feel like hopeless places and begin to feel like places of stress and anxiety. And Lord, in this few minutes that we have tonight, in a room that's a little warm, uh, we pause and we breathe and we ask that you would be with us. And we thank you for your word. It is eternal. The grass, it withers and fades and things die and they fall away. But your word stands forever. And so we ask that you would speak to us through it, that we would see Jesus and that we would find our rest and hope in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to share a uh, very embarrassing story from my childhood. Um, when I was a kid, I was raised by my mom, just being my mom, and uh, we went to, I'm from Macon, Georgia, and we went to the Macon Mall food court. I was six years old, and uh, the food, this is back in the day when malls mattered, you know, and like the mall was like, a, was like especially if you lived in a trailer, which I, I was, I was going to say I get a hand from my trailer people, but I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> If you lived in a trailer like me, the mall was a magical place, and the Make a Mall food court was just a place of wondrous delights. And uh, the place that I always wanted to eat at at the mall, but my mom always made me eat at Wendy's, was the Great Steak and Potato Company. Is anyone familiar with this place? Does it still exist? Is this still a thing? It's like a baked potato place. And uh, some people are saying, yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay, and, uh, <laughs> and this one day, I was about six, my mom gave me money. And she said, go buy what you want. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't have to get a, a number one from Wendy's. I can get what I want. So I went to the Great Second Potato Company with my $10 bill. I ordered a loaded baked potato and cherry Coke. And I felt so independent and like a grown man and that I wasn't. And uh, I was six years old. And so I took my tray. I paid. I said, thank you, sir. And, uh, <laughs> and I turned around. I was walking back. My mom was sitting there. And the tray, you know, the, the, the Coke was heavier than the other. Yeah, see, let's see what's going on. 
and the tray started to get like this, you know? And now I'm really agile, I would have been able to fix it, you know? But then uh, it, it, it all came crashing down. My loaded potato with the bacon and the cheese, and it just hit the, the nastiest possible floor is the mall food court floor, you know? Maybe the mall food court bathroom floor is worse, but. Um, and the cherry coke just smashed on it and it went all over it. And I had this sense of like, this lovely, beautiful thing, this moment that I wanted is all destroyed now, right? And, um, uh, and I literally remember thinking, this is like one of my most vivid childhood memories, which gives you an insight into my childhood, um, <laughs> is like, like, oh no, like this can never be made right again. You know, like this, but I will never, like everything that's beautiful about this is still there, but it's ruined somehow. And um, the, the people in this story, to, that's a silly story, but it was very real to me and I still feel it emotionally. Um, <laughs> The people in this story are in a very hopeless and impossible place, and they come to Jesus looking for help. And um, what I want to look at just in the few minutes we have is um, why is it that the world is the way it is? Hey, Razan. It's really good to see you. This is Razan. This is one of my favorite people. Good to see you, Razan. Everybody say, hey, Razan. Um, why is it that the world is the way it is? Um, why it, does it feel like a hopeless place, and what does God want to do about that? Um, have you, if you think about the, the meal that fell on the floor, everything about the meal was still there, right? The potato was still there. The delicious, refreshing cherry Coke was still there. But all that beauty and loveliness and good, exciting things are, are also at the same time yucky and filthy, right? And have you ever mused about how the world is kind of like that? Like, the world is both full of wonder yet full of violence, right? The world is simultaneously a very beautiful place and a very ugly place, often at the same time. My kids all the time, they're like, look at this amazing, beautiful caterpillar. And I'm like, you're going to die if you touch that caterpillar, you know? Because <laughs> the most beautiful, exciting-looking ones are with the barb sticking out are the ones that are like, don't touch me, right? Um, it's like, uh, you know, two drinks gladdens the heart. Four drinks, hug in the toilet, you know? Um, <laughs> Something that was, was very beautiful and, and wonderful it becomes very sad and hard very quickly. Um, on, a, on a more serious note, when I, I, when you, sometimes you see these pictures of children. Like it's a smiling child, right? And they're like holding an AK-47, right? Or I've, if, if you've seen uh, pictures of lynchings from the early, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century. Smiling children, you know, in, in, in front of a lynching. Why is it the world, that the world is both simultaneously beautiful and ugly? wonderful and violent. And lots of people have a lot of different ways of making sense of that. Um, some people will think, and they'll say, hey, well, you know, maybe it's just an illusion. You know, the world isn't quite so bad. It's just kind of having your perspective, you know? Um, may, maybe the things that we think are ugly are actually quite beautiful. We just don't have the right perspective to see it. Or maybe it's that you can't see light without darkness. You know, I hear all, all kinds of stuff like that. And there's a lot of truth in all those insights. But what the Bible has to say to us about why it is that the world, and your experience and mine, even this very day, has been both beautiful and sad, is because God created the world. Um, the Bible teaches that, that, that a God who his name is synonymous with love, and his name is synonymous with beauty, and his name is synonymous with truth and wonder, he created all things. And he made everything to reflect his beauty and his joy and his wonder and his wisdom, his power, his goodness, his truth. 
And actually, the most beautiful thing the Bible says that God created was us. That we are, in fact, quite special in the earth. We're not just another organism or species, but God created us with intentionality. He created us as beautiful. He actually created us, the Bible says, in his image. He didn't create anything else in his image. He created you and me in his image. He filled us with with wonder and, and, and loveliness. He made us to be like him, to be little versions of him in the world, carrying his love and beauty and wonder. But the Bible also teaches very quickly right at the beginning of the scripture that that thing that he made, that he gave his full affection to in some ways, that we have rejected him. That we rejected his image, that we rejected his love. And because our God, often we usually think about God as a force, like a a being that's out there. But God in his essence, he's a person in many ways like you and I, because he made us in his image. And the basic currency of the world and the creation is relationship. And when the relationship between God and the things that he made is broken, everything becomes broken. Everything becomes hopelessly broken and impossible to put back together. You know how it is if you've been through a breakup, right? Um, you know, sometimes you just talk for a couple of weeks and then you call it off and like you can still hang around and, you know, a casual friend group. But the greater the relational intimacy in investment, the more awkward and painful your whole environment is when you break up. You know, you know how that is, right? Or if you've been with a friend and they break up. God's relational connection, not just to the creation, but, but to us, is so intimate. And his commitment to us is so vast that for us to turn away from him and to, to, to in a sense, worship ourselves... It makes like uh, a cosmic breakup awkwardness, right? Where everything just feels like I'm on eggshells. Everything feels like it's kind of wrong. The world is broken because we are alienated from the God of love. The scripture doesn't tell us that God is loving. Um, The scripture tells us that God is love. Not that love is God. Okay, you can't switch it around that way. Well, I love, that's God, no. But God in his personhood is love. And we are alienated from him. And, and the world is beautiful in a way that a grand house that has collapsed after a hundred years of abandonment is beautiful. The beauty is still there. It's obvious, but it's broken and tainted in some way. It's a special meal. I mean, just to be funny about it, it's a special, your big boy meal on the food court floor, right? And now that raises several questions. Um, Really fascinating questions that we could get into. But the reason I I bring that up is because it helps us to understand why the world is both lovely and deeply broken. And that's really practical for us in several ways. It means if the world is both good and broken, it means that there are things like chronic disease with a loved one. Um, It means that there's climate change in a world that's beautiful and should be cared for and protected well. It means there's environmental disasters that destroy places that we love. There's relational destruction. And of course, the thing worse than all things is, is that there's death. That there's living and that there's, that there's dying. And the, actually, the, from the scripture's point of view, dying isn't just a natural part of that process. Well, all things die. From the scripture's point of view, dying is actually the worst thing that has ever happened. 
Um, actually, at the very beginning of, of the scripture, God's original warning to our first parents was, the day that you reject my love and authority, you will die. You will surely die. The world will begin a process of dying. And so it is that the world has been plunged into death. And so it was that Jesus, who's out teaching and, 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 and preaching, and it comes upon these two people, these two women. One, a woman who for 12 years has been hemorrhaging blood. And if you know how it is, if you gave blood yesterday, which I hope you did, you know, like you give a pint of blood, you're feeling a little off, a little weak. If you had, a, 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 to some degree, an uncontrollable bleeding for 12 years, you can imagine just the loss of strength, the loss of vitality in your life for 12 years. And the other woman is 12 years old and already come to the end of her life, facing death, and she ends up dying. They are suffering the effects of a world where death reigns, where death gets the final word. And that is hopeless. That's a hopeless place. Um, the woman with the, with the issue of blood, she's seen every doctor and paid everything she has, and she's worse, not better. The father grieves his little girl who will never grow up. Hopelessness and despair reign in a world where death gets the last word. Um, my wife sent me a picture of a needle point the other day that said roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, death is inevitable. <laughs> and she's like, can we get this for our house? Um, <laughs> Uh, it's funny, but it's the thing that we're afraid of. And I just want, like, collectively as a group, everyone's got that freaked out look on their face right now. I just want us to collectively as a group recognize that all of us are terrified of dying. And uh, all of us um, uh, have been touched by death in some way. And we actually have a great group, too. And uh, if you find someone, her name is Elizabeth Fortier, get in touch with her. They do a small group on dealing with loss. If loss has been part of your story, you should definitely be part of that. But death is inevitable. And both of these people are with Jesus, and they're basically asking what we ask God. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about my hopeless situation? So what is God going to do about it? Well, the woman comes to Jesus, and she goes, Did anyone see Tiger Woods on, on Sunday on the 18th fairway, he was going to win the, the, the tournament, the tour championship. And it's been a minute since Tiger was relevant in, for golf. And, uh, and as he was walking down the fairway to the 18th green, there was literally probably a thousand people around him thronging. It was insane to watch. Immediately what I thought it was like, this was like Jesus and the woman trying to get to Jesus. Um, I mean, but seriously. And this woman comes to Jesus and she reaches out in her hopelessness, and says, I literally have nowhere else to go. Maybe if I touch this man's shirt, I'll be made well. And immediately she's healed. She can, not just as she healed, she can feel in her body health. That something has changed. Jesus goes to see this little girl, and everyone laughs at him when he says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Because for him, he can actually reach down into death. And he calls her out of death gently and kindly. He speaks to her. She was dead. Then she's alive. What God is doing about the brokenness of the world and about death is that he is healing the world by the power of resurrection. 
The good news of Jesus is not that you can get better. The good news of Jesus is not that you're sick, that you're really sick, and you need some help. The good news of Jesus is that he finds dead things and he makes them alive again. That he brings dead things to life, things that were hopelessly gone, that he can restore them. He's the only one that can raise the dead. In time and in space, Jesus comes in and he begins to mend a broken world. As I was standing in the make them all food court holding the tray, everything's on the floor, it's all over my shoes and everything, I felt a huge wave of shame, as you can imagine. And everyone's looking like, oh, poor thing. Which is exactly what you want when you're a six-year-old boy. It's for people to be like, oh, poor thing. And you're like, I'm a grown-up. Um, I got my meal. Um, but the manager, of course, the manager cared for me and was kind. And like, he actually just bought me the same meal you know, out of his own pocket. He bought it. He replaced it, right? And it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful image. That was long before I ever knew God. I was, I was you know, a decade and a half away from knowing God. And yet God was showing me kindness even in this, this person. He made it all new again for me. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's making all things new. Now we have to be careful with stories like this because I know some of you hear a story like the woman is healed, the little girl is raised. And it's easy to get bitter or cynical about that. Because you're like, well, I've prayed. And you know, it didn't happen for me. Um. And yeah, maybe Jesus did that for these two people, but he didn't do it for you or someone you know when they were sick. And you know, when Jesus was, was living and in, in his ministry, there was actually way more people that he didn't heal than he did heal, if you think about it. Jesus, the amount of healings and, and casting out demons and raising people from the dead was very limited. And he was in a very small, insignificant place in the world. The purpose of these miracles isn't simply to help these people. The purpose of these miracles for the people in the context and for us is to begin to give us a taste of Jesus and that he makes all things new. I love Sam's Club. I'm a big Sam's Club fan. I don't have a Sam's Club membership. So if you have a Sam's Club membership and you want to go to Sam's, I would love to go with you. Um, Because Sam's is great for samples. You can walk all around Sam's and you could get lobster some days. Always got the meatballs. You know, there's pineapple. And I just love to go around Sam's and walk around and I go to the book section for a while. I see what new book Oprah has out. And then I walk around again and get the samples again once the people forget what I look like. (laughs) And Sam's invests the money to give you samples because they want to make you hungry enough to buy the real thing, to go and to buy the meatballs, right? And these stories of Jesus healing these people are both there to help you begin to buy in and to get hungry that Jesus can make all things new, that he can make you new, that he can make your family new, that he can make your relationship new, that he can make your body new and that he will do that. The best is always yet to come because Jesus is making all things new. And in Christ, because of his life and his death and his resurrection, that he unites you to if you know him by faith, death does not get the last word. Hope is not just a nice idea. But if you are in Jesus, it is the only logical perspective on the world. That despair is illogical and useless if Jesus rose from the dead. And that if you are in him. When Jesus came to earth, he began healing people and raising the dead. 
And ultimately, he went to death himself and was raised. And when he did that, he ushered in this thing called the kingdom. And the kingdom, what that really is, is a new creation. It's the new meal from the manager, right? That the old creation passes away, and Jesus brings in this new place called the kingdom where we are restored to a beautiful, loving relationship with the king, Jesus. And for now, that new kingdom and that old world both exist at the same time. If you watch college football, you know there's a, there, there's a noon game on CBS, SEC game, and there's a 3.30 game, okay, also on CBS. And sometimes you're watching the noon game, but you're really excited to see the 3.30 game. But it's 3.45, and the noon game isn't over yet. So the noon game is still on TV, but the 3.30 game has started. Like, in space and time, the 3.30 game exists in actuality. You can check the score of the 3.30 game, and you can be very frustrated that why isn't the 3.30 game on my TV because the 12 o'clock game is still on. The, the, the world that we live in and the kingdom are like that. They overlap like that. That the kingdom is here and it has come. And it's true and actual. But the world that's passing away that's going to end soon is still going. But the good news is that the kingdom is here and that the old world is passing away. And here's what that means for you. This is what we all, we did all this and built up to this. If you know Jesus, whether you have for a lot of your life or you start tonight... You have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And you will until you die or Jesus comes back. Uh, some of y'all at fall conferences last week can get to enjoy a nice canoe ride on the pond there. My children, it's a treat for them every year. And you know how it is when you get out of a canoe. Okay? There's that real awkward transfer moment where you got one foot on the dock, one foot in the canoe. Things could still go very badly for you in that moment. That's actually the point of greatest danger, right? Because no one wants to do a split into a body of water. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. You got one foot on the dock, and it's stable and safe. And you got one foot in the canoe, the world that's passing away, that's unsteady. And the question for us tonight, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of the fact that he raises people from the dead is where are you putting your weight? Are you putting your weight on that which is passing away? Or are you putting your weight on that which is stable? Twice in this passage, Jesus talks about faith. Next week, we're going to talk about faith and doubting. That's what we're going to talk about next week. He tells this father not to fear, but to believe. And he tells the woman that her faith has made her well. But what he means by faith, and I don't think many of us really understand what faith means in the scripture by faith what he means is putting your weight on the dock foot and beginning to lean into that thing which is here but you can't totally see yet that you feel the danger of the canoe foot more more viscerally than the stability of the dock foot and having faith in jesus is beginning to access that solid ground it's beginning to trust with more of you than is in the world that what Jesus said is true and that death doesn't get the last word. And where I want to land on this is, is your cynicism uh, and my cynicism, um, your pessimism. Um, you know, that they say what, a, 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 a pessimist is just a realist that's been disappointed, or a pessimist is just an optimist that's been disappointed, right? 
There's no just like naturally pessimistic people. There's just disappointed people. Yeah. Um, there will always be voices around you saying, you know, your daughter is dead, so why trouble Jesus anymore? It's over. It's hopeless. Get over it. Say la vie. What can you do? It'll always be like this. And what Jesus is saying to you and to me tonight is that that is the voice of fear. And that if Jesus was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, that means that death doesn't get the last word and that you don't have to live in fear. And pessimism is really powerful because it has a lot of truth to it. Because when it's just us people, brokenness and death do win. But the good news of Jesus is that the resurrection is real. That with humans, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Do not fear, only believe. And what I want to to, to leave you thinking about tonight, I just told you that death doesn't win. And that the the best is always to come in Jesus. So what is happening in your world right now that if I asked you how it's going, you would just go, meh. I mean, it's fine. And you're self-protecting. Your pessimism is putting your foot in the canoe. And Jesus is calling you to hope because your cynicism is incongruent with the kingdom. They don't go together. If you need healing, reach out and touch his garment. Listen to his voice calling you to rise. In the kingdom, because of the resurrection, there is hope. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. It's hard to know even to what to say about all that, Lord. Um, um, it's hard to know how to, how to apply that specifically. To know that the thing that we are the most afraid of, which is dying, and we think is just the, the, the end of all of us that you've actually even overcome that thing and that life and health and peace are now reigning in your kingdom. And Lord, we long, no matter who we are in this room, no matter whether we're like, this is total BS, each of us long for a day when the old things would pass away, when there would be no crying, nor mourning, nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. And Lord, all of us, because we were created in your image, long to hear you say, behold, I am making all things new. And Lord, you make us new. You give us new life. And Lord, it's both terrifying and liberating to begin to put our weight on that, our hope on that, because we are so afraid of being disappointed. But Jesus, you don't disappoint us. You have the power over death. And so, Lord, I just ask that you, that you would touch us with that tonight. That we would trust you and find freedom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say amen. 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 Amen.